constitution created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted, signing away our chances, because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding, quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech. When a situation could have been avoided from the start if we the people conquer basic knowledge of the law. So this is for the people, law in plain language, breaking it down for us in layman terms, Deb expressing her compassion and will for us to learn, not for a check but to address how to win in these streets. This show is for you. This show is for me. It's for the people. The information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to our return episode of For the People, Law in Playing Language with me, Deb Rainey, your compassionate lawyer, your host. Joining me in the studio is simply the PhD producer. Hey, producer. Good evening. Shout out to Miss Black. She's on her way. She had some issues. Hopefully she'll make it here tonight. Um, last not, Last week we didn't have a show. Somebody had bronchitis and laryngitis and was laying around the bed whining like a little girl. Y'all know what happens when you get them flu-like pains. Oh, my God. They knock you to your knees. Doesn't happen to all of us. Make your joints hurt. Whatever. She was laying up there whining, too. And unfortunately for Renee and I, we've been batting it back and forth. So our whole house is like a germicide. Anyway, we decided we were going to do something different tonight. I um, searched low and high, searched through all my archives, searched through... Um, emails and texts and, and uh, Facebook stuff. And I found a series of questions that folks posed to me. And these questions are in the areas of driving under the influence, general criminal defense, um, landlord and tenant information. Some of the questions are really funny. I didn't choose them in any particular order to um, put them on the show. I just wanted to get some stuff that had some meat to it. And if y'all want to join in tonight and just call and get random questions answered, you can reach out to us, 215-609-4301. Hit us up on the text line, 215-435-4099. Email us, forthepeople at deborahrainylaw.com. Hit the Facebook page, For the People Law and Playing Language. Follow us on Twitter, For the People. Um, last week, we were supposed to be having... Um, Another Megan's Law um, show, part two of a mini, mini series to come. And for those of you that don't know, if you know someone who is either a victim of, unfortunately, a sexual offense or someone who is on probation, parole, or facing charges related to sexual offenses, there is a change that came down um, with, with respect to registration of sex offenders. And the change, is, is the change that's taking place affective December 1st. It's pretty profound. 
And by that, I mean any most crimes that you didn't think involved sex offenses may now trigger registration under Megan's law. So y'all need to stay tuned for that show when we have that show. And right now we're looking at a January date for that. Because it's pretty, it's pretty um, powerful. And this new law, SORNA, S-O-R-N-A, put that in your browser, took effect December 1st. And for all intents and purposes, what it says, if you're either in custody or on probation um, under a sex offense, you have a sexual offender notification and registration requirement. It used to be 10 years, 15, 25 in life. Now it's 15, 25 in life. Those misdemeanors you thought didn't really matter, they matter now. So if you are one of those people suffering from that, please reach out to your attorney or reach out to me. Once again, you're listening to For the People Law and Playing Language on www.gtownradio.com. Gtown, the what? You Come really on, you got to take it. Go there. Come on, you, you got to take really it, producer. You want me to go The there. sound from Germantown. Okay. Sorry, y'all. My voice is still is still trying to And that um, was not me at all. In and out. That was me trying to make the producer work, but she ain't trying to work. I, I was working. You, you were listening to G-Town to Radio. All right, this the first sound question of Philadelphia. is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ignoring <laughs> Renee. So these were some DUI questions that I got, and I also belong to a legal um a legal um, community online where folks can submit their legal questions. Attorneys have a certain amount of time to answer them, and then the attorney and the client can hook up if the if the client likes the attorney's answers. I typically get some really interesting responses to the questions that I pose because I don't like to put that hither, whither, nither nonsense. I like to put common sense, easy to understand um, questions on the, on our. Um, before we get started with all these interesting questions, if you have a question, you have a comment, you want to answer it, there's no um, topic off limit. And we're going to come back. I'm going to throw some scenarios out there at you, some legal um, situations, and then we'll talk about it. Hopefully, you guys will get on the phone and join in the conversation. 215-609-4301 is the studio line. And before we go on break, I think that you should put one of the questions out there. Here's one I want y'all to think can, about. Uh, you can address it when we come back from break. Here's a question. This is not a DUI question, so y'all pay attention. Listen, I'm going to ask y'all to answer when, you, when we come back from break. The question is this. Can I get a restraining order against my ex for harassment and stalking? My ex was harassing my fiancé and me through text and Facebook. Nothing was threatening. She's now got to the point of going to both our families and friends to get information about us and slandering my name to them. Can I get a protection from abuse order from her? Wow, think that's about a whole y'all. Bunch of stuff think up about in there. that, y'all. Let me know what your thoughts and your comments are, and we'll be right back. Shown up now. 
Welcome back to For the People Law in Plain Language with me, Deb Rainey, your host. Excuse me. The so, compassionate lawyer you was checking out. Who was that producer? That was Donnie Hathaway, the ghetto. And I swear to God, y'all, she does know more than two songs. I swear to God. <laughs> and speaking about the number of songs she liked, she knows. This is a shout out to Easy E and K Gerard Bates from Gotta Get Over the Hump every Wednesday night from ten to midnight here on GTimeradio.com. Easy E has agreed to assist our producer in sort of broadening her musical horizons so we don't just hear who's the ones you play gil scott heron well i can always play some of the show tunes from oh, my iPod. oh my god yeah she's got like um annie and all that other what people stuff anyway the question we posed on the other side of the break was this can i get a restraining order against my ex for harassment and stalking my ex was harassing my fiance and myself through text and facebook nothing was threatening She's now got to the point of going to both our family and friends to try to obtain information about us as well as slandering my name to them. What can I do? Well, the first thing you can do is you can change your cell phone number, change your Facebook account. You have someone who obviously has some issues. They want to get back at you, get your attention, whatever it is. The first thing you want to do, take some of that fire away. Take away that venue, that vehicle she has to get in touch with you. So I have a question. So I have to change my long-established Facebook and Twitter account. Can I just unfriend them or you report ain't, them or something? Yeah, you don't have to do nothing but stay black and die. But if you want this woman to stop harassing you, you should take the necessary steps first to cut off the communication that he or she has with you. <coughs> What's unclear in this question is if there's, if there's kids. For example, some of the... Um, Fathers may have a court order saying you can talk to your kid once or twice a week on a particular day at a certain time on a certain telephone number. If that's the case and you save that phone just for the kids, you also want to document every single time this person contacts you. (coughs) Insofar as the protection from abuse, this question is asked, can they get a restraining order? In Pennsylvania, a restraining order is called a protection from abuse order. Most other other states who call themselves uh, maturing and recognizing the seriousness of domestic violence, call the orders, restraining orders, and you have to go to family court to get them. They're either a restraining order or a protection from abuse order. In order to qualify for one, the person who's seeking the order must show a couple of things. The first one is the person who's getting on my nerves I need protection from, I either have a personal relationship with them, we live together, we have a child together, or we had some kind of romantic relationship. So I, I, have to, I, have to, I have to ask you a question then. So is that, you said the person that's getting on my nerves. So is that not physical abuse? Is that just they're getting on your nerves? Most, state, most states with their protection or domestic violence orders do not require just physical abuse. If you can allege in your initial temporary petition that you, this person, you're in fear of this person, whether it's because of physical threats of physical violence, emotional abuse, financial abuse, whatever... The temporary order is what you get initially. You go down to a family court house. You talk to either a magistrate or a court officer or a hearing officer. Say, look, this person is scaring me. Here are the things that he or she's doing. I need an order. They'll give you a temporary order. You have 10 days in Pennsylvania to have that order served on the other party. That person gets a chance in 10 days to appear in front of a court for a hearing to demonstrate whether or not, one, he's a, he or she's a danger to you, and two, if you, should, if you should get that final right. order. And I, so I just want to go back. So you would initially say this person is getting on my nerves. You really didn't mean just getting on your I nerves. I don't mean just getting on your nerves. I mean you, 
you have to be a, you have to demonstrate or at least say you're scared of that person. But let's be real. People that file these things aren't always scared of them. Sometimes the baby mamas do it because of baby mama nonsense. Baby daddies do it for baby daddy nonsense. But you have to at least allege or or accuse the person of doing something that makes you fear afraid of well, them. Well, and I, I'm hearing you loud and clear, but I would hope that we are speaking to the folks who would, who are really afraid and not just. Um, doing something um, because they want to get back at baby mama somebody. Well, let's be honest. Most of the people that go to 34 South 11th Street for these protection orders are these people who have this ulterior motive. I'm not saying that there's not some threat there that one who's going to get the, um, going to get the order is not afraid of the other person, but what I'm saying is that statistics and research has shown the people who are the true victims of domestic violence, it takes them a long time before they're brave enough to get caught up in the system and file that order. So unfortunately, a lot of people out there know how to use the system to their own use to beat the baby mama or the baby daddy upside the head. But you have that option of going for a protection order. <coughs> if you have some ex out there stalking you and harassing you, it's interesting how this person used the criminal terms of stalking and harassment because in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia County, you also have an option of filing what's called a private criminal complaint. That's separate and apart from a protection order. And in Pennsylvania, you go to the same place in Philadelphia, 34 South 11th Street, the fifth floor, and you say, look, this person is committing criminal acts against me, scaring the hell out of me, stalking me, harassing me. I want it to stop. I want to file a private criminal complaint. What does that mean? That means that Criminal conduct has occurred, but the cops haven't gotten involved, and they didn't arrest anybody. The people at the um, private criminal complaint branch of the DA's office will take your statement. They'll give it to a supervisor there. That person will determine if, based on what you're saying, there should be a, um, a hearing granted to you, and your case go to criminal court. Two things can happen. If the DA's office decides to put forth your criminal complaint, You'll get a hearing date at the Criminal Justice Center, courtroom 405 or 406. That person will be served a subpoena. Show up in court with your lawyer, and let's do this. The good thing for the person who files a criminal complaint, private criminal complaint, the DA's office will be your lawyer. Some new DA from the DA's office, some baby DA, will be there that day to sort of prosecute your case. You'll talk to that person 20 minutes before your hearing. Tell them what's going on. You'll have a trial. The judge will decide whether or not to find the, the, the person who's charged guilty or not guilty. So what I'm saying is the protection from abuse order is not your only avenue. You can also go that route of private criminal complaint. Or if you want to make sure that person knows you're serious, call the police. Go to your nearest police district or the district nearest the person who's harassing you and make a complaint. That complaint will go through its processes, and if a detective is assigned to it, he or she thinks there's enough to arrest somebody, then an arrest warrant will, will be sent out on that person. And, so and, you have more than just a protection from abuse as your recourse. And, and, you and while you're on domestic <laughs> violence, I just wanted to add, add that this week uh, city council approved or earmarked um, another $3 million for domestic violence um, for women against abuse, for assisting with adding more beds. Right now, we only have a hundred beds in Philadelphia, and helping um, survivors of domestic violence. So, well done, City of Philadelphia. 
But I do have something else. In that first scenario, you said that they were harassing them on Facebook and Twitter. And one of the shows that I have been dying to do, it's called Facebook and the BS. Okay, that's Deborah snoring. But, but there are Facebook communications and text messaging and all this new technology, all this new media is finding itself in the courtroom. So let's say that that case you just gave where they are posting things on Facebook and Twitter and um, putting all this information out there. Suppose this information is really harmful and it's maybe it's threats in there. Can they then print that out and take that down and will the DA use that? Well, the, the problem the DA is going to face, just like defense counsel, before you can s- submit or send stuff through court, it has to be authenticated. Or what does that mean? It has someone has to get up there and say, yes, this is a real communication. It was actually pulled from Facebook, Twitter, wherever. And this is how we keep our records in the ordinary course of business. That's a big, long, boring evidentiary um, issue. But but it is it's always a good idea to hold on to that stuff if you have it, because it can't do anything but bolster your position or your claim. Um, I'm going to run away from this because she's going about to go on this Facebook and. Email stuff, and I ain't ready to go but there my yet. my question is, hasn't it shown up? Objection, Your Honor, not relevant. <laughs> hasn't Outside it shown, the scope. Hasn't it shown up in your criminal caseload file? Some of my cases, there have been Facebook messages and uh, MySpace messages that were used where the so-called victims, it's juvenile cases um, mostly, where they say, my client said this, said that. They've not been used in court because I've objected to it. Because everybody knows with MySpace in particular, it was a lot easier back when MySpace first came up to go on as long as you knew somebody's login stuff. You can change what's on that screen. But the point and is, make it say still, what it didn't say. It hit the courtroom. We're not going to talk about how well you could or couldn't get it out because everyone does not have your skill set or folks have different skill sets. And that's not to say that everyone's going to get it out. But the fact that it's making it there says a lot. Right. And Renee's right. That That, that is an interesting um, show. And we're working on um, guests to come in and, and talk a little bit about the technology as it relates to Facebook and Twitter. I'm just not looking forward to it because it's probably going to bore me to tears. But anyway, it's really it's really interesting, and it is information that you need to know. But today, let's press on with our questions. I was just going to say, let's So the just last question on. said, can I get a protection from abuse order or a restraining order because my we ex is stalking and harassing me? The short answer is yes, but you also have some other options that are that is criminal, um, private criminal complaint, Philadelphia County, and or call the police. In any county, any city that you live in, the protection from abuse order is not your only option. And you also have some civil ramifications if you think that person's really damaging your um, reputation and putting you in a false light. Reach out to a civil lawyer and a criminal lawyer if you have um, this situation that I read to you relates to you. One more protection order question because there's a whole bunch of them that were sent out there. This one says... I was charged with violating the protection order. My ex-girlfriend told the police I called and withheld my number, which I didn't. She told the police, oops, she deleted her call log. This lady thinks I was cheating and she did this out of vengeance. She's on mental disability and couldn't show the police any evidence. But after the police consulted with the DA, they recommended and they charged me with violating the restraining order and I was arrested. What do I do? Well, dude, the first thing you do is get an attorney and shut your mouth. I am, um, right now, ladies and gentlemen, I am so 
aghast and so frustrated with this idea and this notion that people, whenever the police come around, their common sense goes out the window and they want to tell the truth, tell everybody what happened. I'm going to say this, and I hope I'm not offending anybody out there, and if I am offending you, please take and keep in context what I'm about to say. In the criminal arena, when you are a defendant or a potential defendant facing criminal charges, the truth has nothing to do with your situation. Save the truth for your attorney. People think, oh, if I go down to the police and just tell them the truth, they won't arrest me. No. The cop's job is not to find out the truth. Their job is to clear the case by making an arrest. Keep that in the back of your mind. So this young man who said you were charged with violating the PFA, you were arrested, keep your mouth shut, get an attorney. Make sure your attorney has that protection from abuse order because that's going to contain everything on it that you were not supposed to do. Now, just because she deleted her call log or couldn't demonstrate any viable information to the police that you violated that order, in most counties in Pennsylvania, all of them, it's sufficient for the person who is the protectee, if you will, under that abuse order to merely say, boo-boo and them violated the order, called me and threatened them. That's enough for an arrest. It doesn't mean it's going to meet the beyond a reasonable doubt standard at court if it's a criminal case or preponderance or clear and convincing in a protection from abuse um, contempt hearing. So understand, if she said it so, even though it didn't happen, even though there's no evidence to back it up, it's enough for the police to make the arrest because all they want to do is clear the arrest and let the court sort it out. So with this guy, you want to make sure that you give your phone records, your work schedule, your whereabouts, everything else that you can compile to your lawyer to defend you. And once this goes away and you're found not guilty or found not having violated that protection order, your next step is to talk to an attorney and sue her ass in small claims court. I'm here to tell y'all, for all you out there who've been arrested falsely, charges were dismissed, you were found not guilty or whatever, if y'all start going back at these people, taking them to small claims court for false arrest, false police report, abuse of process, and just wasting your time and wasting your money, especially if you had to pay bail a hundred times, the first time they get a judgment against them and the court smacks their pocket, I'll bet you they'll stop doing that stuff. I don't know how many times I get men in particular to come to get me to represent them in a nonsense case because their baby mama told the kids to say daddy raped them. They don't show up for court. The case gets thrown out. Daddy goes back to baby mama. They fight six months later and the process happens all over again. He's got five or six false Arrest charges on his record can't get a job. If you stop letting them do this and smack that pocket, I guarantee you they'll stop doing it. So back to the question. You're charged with that violation. It's criminal for all intents and purposes. Shut your mouth. The cop tells you you have a right to remain silent. Remain silent. Shut up. Get your lawyer and be ready to fight this in court. Also, if if you are a person who is the person who has a restraining order against them, or you got a restraining order to protect you, keep a journal of all your activities. Whenever that person who's not supposed to call you, calls you, texts you, or has someone else text you, and contact an attorney right away to get an idea how to move forward and what to do. Because you don't want to be that person that goes to court every two days and tells the judge, he's violating order, he's violating order, because you have nothing to show for it, because then your credibility is going to be shot. So hopefully that person who answered that is listening to me, and that answer made sense to them. All right, here is a, (laughs) 
This is a question asked on one of the um, legal sites that I belong to, and it's a really interesting question. And this is how it starts, I swear to God. Based on your, expect- based on your experience, is it a good idea to have a client testify at his or her DUI trial? I know juries are supposed to hold it against the accused for or Okay, I think the person wrote this wrong. They wrote, I know juries are supposed to hold it against the accused for not testifying, but, but could this affect their verdict? What he meant to say is, jurors are told they cannot hold it against an individual for not testifying. I'm going to start this way. The tr- kind of trial lawyer that I am, my first thought is, my clients do not testify, period. The burden, because the burden of proof, the burden to prove the charges is always on the state, whether it's the federal government, whether it's Pennsylvania, New Jersey, whether it's Pennsylvania, Louisiana, wherever you are in this country. (coughs) The state has the absolute job to present all the evidence, all the testimony and show beyond a reasonable doubt that the person who stands accused of the crimes did it. The moment you talk about the defendant taking the stand, even though jurors are told at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the trial that they can't hold it against the defendant for testifying, that they can't make him or her show that they're innocent, the moment you take that stand, you flip that burden. The jury no longer thinks about the state proving you guilty. They want you to prove yourself innocent. It is never, ever a good idea for a defendant to testify. There are some exceptions. I'm currently um, counsel on a homicide where I'm contemplating putting my client up to testify, but it's a special breed, and it doesn't happen very often, and I'm in talks with uh, an attorney um, colleague who's going to assist me with getting the client ready to testify, but it's a special situation. It is the exception and not the rule. So I have a question, and I don't watch the... Uh, law and orders and criminal intent and those kinds of good because they bullshit, but they fun attorney sitcoms drama on okay. television. She's tired, Josh. She's Obviously, I don't watch there. TV that much because I'm not sure what to call them. My question is, when you watch those kinds of shows, and I've watched some with you, do they usually put the client up or no? More often than not, if you watch Law and Order, so they put them up. And that is the biggest mistake you can ever make. And there are going to be lawyers out there that disagree with me. There are going to be clients out there. There are going to be people out there who are going to disagree with me. And you're allowed to. But I'm here to tell you if you... You're giving them you, permission to, dis- to disagree with hell me? Hell yeah. Just don't do it in my face. I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm here to tell you if you talk to people who have sat on juries, nine times, I'll say eight times out of ten, their minds were made up and changed the moment that defendant got on the stand. And unfortunately, a lot of defense attorneys don't take the time to prepare their clients. It's not about just being able to tell your story because you got your story locked down. It's being able to handle questions coming from the district attorney's office, especially when the DA has some trial skills. So, so let me ask you a question. Um, let's say it's a, it's a criminal case, and um, John Doe was is accused of you know hitting somebody upside the head and doing all these horrible things that a criminal does, not saying that client is that. And client gets up there and he's... She's so bougie. And he's inarticulate and doesn't have a good grasp of the English language. Is all that stuff going to color the jury? It's not supposed to, but is that stuff going to... I'm going to say this, listeners out there. And and, and, and I want to answer, not just inarticulate, but they're 
talking in a ghetto speak kind of way. Well, I'm going to say this to y'all. If you have a trial lawyer who's on his or her P's and Q's, he or she is going to have had contact with the client and have an idea of the kind of client they have, right? Hopefully. And you're going to, and in doing that though, it's also going to color and bleed into the kind of jurors you're looking for, right? If my client is scraped from the hood, I want a jury scraped from the hood. They're going to number one understand when he's saying scrape and all the other terminology he's going to say and all the other um, speak he's going to engage in. And two, like-minded folks tend to think like the client, right? He's in a fight over something on the hood. You disrespect me because you stepped on my shoes or whatever. Well, no, no, this and he is, punched him in the face. Right. I want a jury of his peers who understand that. So I'm going to be trying my best, right, to put as many people on my jury who come from around the way where my client comes from. But that's dangerous because you don't have control by yourself because the DA's office, their representative, also has a right to pick a jury too. Right. So I'm just thinking of <laughs> John Doe Renee. Who, um, ladies and gentlemen, rest in assured, Deborah will not be picking Renee or anyone like her for any kind of criminal jury, period. I'm not even sure I'll pick her for my civil juries because she ain't got no sympathy whatsoever. So, having said what I said about this question, it is not a good idea based on my experience and the way I try my cases for a client to prepare to testify, unless it's a special situation. You're listening to For the People, Law and Playing Language on www.gtownradio.com. G-Town, the what? Black's missing. The sound from Germantown. Renee don't help worth a damn. <laughs> so I'm trying to play both both sides against the So middle. And the question was, so, so tonight, ladies and gentlemen, as a recap, uh, we are taking questions that have been emailed to Deborah over time. Folks have texted her over time. And we decided tonight will be a good time to kind of pull all of those questions out. If you have a question or a comment, you can reach us in the studio at 609. I'm sorry. 215-609-4301. Took her six Hit us to up on number. the text line, 215-435-4099. All right, here's some landlord-tenant stuff, and I'm going to start with the tenant questions. This first question is really long, but I feel bad for her, and I'm going to do the short one. This lady wrote me, my sister lives with me. We had an agreement. She would pay rent. It's been five months, no rent money. The agreement was a verbal agreement that is still binding. Even The agreement was a verbal Stop. agreement. Is it still binding even though it's not in writing? What I'm can sorry. I do? I'm sorry. What happened? She moved in six months ago. And five months ago. She, they had an agreement. The sister would pay her rent. She'd been there five months without rent. What can you do? She needs to go somewhere You put tomorrow. her shit out on the... I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Here's the deal. First and foremost, don't get confused. You do not have to have a written agreement for it to be binding in court. Because this lady who wrote this this message, I'm presuming that she's not a landlord under the landlord-tenant law. What does that mean? She didn't go get her certificate to um, be a renter, to be a landlord, that is. She didn't get her certificate of habitability and other stuff that we talked about on our landlord-tenant show that you can find on www.forthepeople.podomatic.com. Episode is The Hand That Signs the Lease. So she's not a landlord under that sort of umbrella. However, there is an agreement between the two of them, right? The agreement says, you pay me and you can live with me. The sister has breached that agreement. This is more of a contract action than a um a landlord-tenant action, only because the sister who is um, the homeowner or who is letting the other sister live with her is not a ten- a landlord under the law. 
What I would suggest that she does and anyone else who's in this situation, you go to the sister and you say, look, this was our agreement. You broke it. This is my house. I can pick and choose who I want to live here. Either you give me the money you owe me or you please vacate and leave my home. And if you're not really sure or you feel uncomfortable putting your family member out, call Bubba on them. They take care of it for you. I'm just playing. You don't have any requirements to take her to any court to try to get her out of your house because it is your house. Hopefully, though, and understand if you do say you have to leave, that sister can turn around, find some shyster lawyer to say, look, that was only part one of our agreement. The other part of our agreement was that if I couldn't pay, she would give me an additional time. Or even if I couldn't pay, she'd give me 75 months and so on and so forth. So you may end up with a contract action in small claims court. But there's no requirement that you go to landlord-tenant court because you're not a landlord. The Landlord-Tenant Act of Pennsylvania doesn't apply to this sister. Talk to her. If she don't do what you say do, give her an ultimatum. You got 30 days to pay me or you must be out of my house. Your name is on that deed. She doesn't do what you need her to do. You call the police. Look, this lady's trespassing. I don't want her here. Please help me get rid of her. And the police will come and talk to you depending on the district that you live in. Hopefully, if you're someone out there and you find yourself in that situation and you're not really sure what to do, reach out to us. Give us a call here in the studio, 215-609-4301. Send me an email for the people at com. I'm going to throw um, questions, mix them up in the mix a whole lot of time. Um, Renee's doing a plus sign oh with her hands. Goodness. I don't know what that means. Oh, my goodness. I did. We're going to take a break. Deb is going to give you one question, and before she answers it, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back. Huh. Okay, I wasn't ready for no break. Okay, here's <laughs> one here. Is it a good idea to have a preliminary hearing in a criminal case? Those of y'all who've listened to the show and your avid listeners, during the break, go to forthepeople.podomatic.com. Look for my show that says, Waivers and juries and pleas, oh my, I think we addressed preliminary hearing. But this is the question for y'all to think about. Is it a good idea to have a preliminary hearing in a criminal case? And I swear to God, this was a question that a, um, a listener posed. It scared the hell out of me. I know it probably came from one of them counties, Delaware County, Montgomery County, somewhere out there in Pennsylvania. We'll address the question when we come right back on the other side. And the, of the other break. thing we're going to address, one of the things that I saw Deborah had posted on, I believe it was Facebook, was the top 10 things you should know to prepare for a preliminary hearing. So we're going to take a really short break. It's going to be two or three minutes, and we will be right back. So we Welcome are back, back from the to break. For the People Law and Plain Language with me, 
Deb Rainey, your host, a compassionate lawyer. Tonight, I am sending you, sharing with you legal questions, situations that have been presented to me in a number of forms and formats and ways. <coughs> Thus far, since we've been on, we've talked about the protection from abuse process, a.k.a. the restraining order. We talked about whether or not you should say something to the popo when they tell you that you're being arrested for the um, restraining order violation. We talked about the sister who unfortunately let her money grubbing, greedy, don't want to give up nothing sister stay with her for five months and didn't pay rent what she could do. And I'm going to ask you guys, if you have questions out there that are in any way impacted by what I'm talking about, give me a shout. Give me a call. Don't make me do all this by myself. My voice is coming in and out. Um, to reach out to us, 215-609-4301. If you don't want your voice on the air, text us, 215-435-4099. Email for the people at com. For the people, Law and Plain Language Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, For the People, or follow me at Deborah Rainey Law. On the other side of the break, what I asked you to think about, the question that was posed, and I swear to God it was a real question, I'm presuming it came from one of the outlying counties in Pennsylvania. For those of y'all listening who may not be from Pennsylvania, everything that I'm addressing specifically relates to Pennsylvania, but generically could relate the process to your jurisdiction. What is a preliminary hearing? A preliminary hearing in Pennsylvania is not unlike a grand jury in New York, a grand jury in um, New Jersey, and other areas where they do grand juries. It's called a first appearance or a first a strike that a show cause hearing. What does that mean? This is the first chance the government has to show that body, whether it's 23 people or 26 people on a grand jury or a judge, how strong their case is and whether or not the judge or the grand jury thinks the person who faces these charges should go ahead and defend the charges at trial. It's called a show cause hearing. I am of the mindset as a criminal attorney, a public defender in my heart, you never waive your your right to a preliminary hearing, ever. The state can't force you to waive it. Your own lawyer can't force you to waive it. And I'm sick and tired of people saying, well, my lawyer told me I have no choice. You have a choice. Whether or not you give up your right to a preliminary hearing is your right and your right only. The only way I would advise my client to give up a right to a preliminary hearing is for a benefit. For example, you went out and you robbed 15 Dunkin' Donuts. All 15 Dunkin' Donuts got you on videotape with your face cheesing with the gun in your hand, posing like, what's up? Ain't no reason for you to have no preliminary hearing, right? And if you agree to waive your preliminary hearing in Philadelphia County and most of the other counties in Pennsylvania, they're going to give you a benefit for that. What's the benefit? Well, in lieu of doing 30 to 60 years in jail, perhaps they're going to give you 15 and a half to 30. Or in lieu of charging you with all 15 robberies, they might agree and, and waive 10 of them and only charge you with five. So my suggestion, my practice as a defense attorney, I will not, will not advise my client to waive his or her right to a preliminary hearing in Philadelphia County or any other county unless I am absolutely sure the offer the DA's office is making is one that we want and we can live with. Because remember, even at a preliminary hearing, things might come out, particularly people who be lying. You know what I'm saying? When you lie, you don't never know what the hell you said. In a victim case, for example, or armed robbery, 
if that person, when that person testifies at the preliminary hearing, his statement ain't there. That person had no idea what they told the police when they gave their statement. So you have the lawyer has a t- the testimony from the preliminary hearing to use that person's statement, and then whatever they say at trial. There's always good reasons to have a preliminary hearing. My suggestion to you folk out there and your loved ones, do not waive your right to a preliminary hearing. And Renee said that I did um, top the, 10 tips you should know to prepare for a preliminary and hearing. And I just have one question before you go there. Um, a preliminary hearing is not called that in every city or county or location. Some places right? call it a show cause hearing. Most places that use it call it a preliminary hearing. California uses preliminary hearing. I think Texas, Arkansas, a couple of the, small, the southern states. It's either called a preliminary hearing or a show cause hearing. Sometimes you may hear it called the information and hearing, which is the same thing. All those mean a show cause. It's saying to the government, show cause why this person stands before us accused as they are and show us why we should send that person to trial, waste time and money on a trial. That's essentially what it is. So please don't waive your right to a preliminary hearing unless you were guaranteed some phenomenal benefit from it. The top 10 things, if you want to um, get a written copy of my top 10 things, hit us, uh, hit us up on Facebook for the people law and plain language or email for the people at DebraRainyLaw.com. Number one, dress appropriately. You not going to the club and you not hanging out on the block. Even if you're not the defendant or the accused in a preliminary hearing, please don't come to court to support your family member or your friend with some hoochie mama skirts on, some Daisy Dukes, a little teeny tiny T-shirt, or a shirt with a big old weed leaf in the front of it. Believe it or not, people, the judge will look at you and make his or her determination, not just on what he or she hears, but on what they see. Let's be real. There's a time and there's a place for everything. If you're going to court, even if just going to go support somebody, dress appropriately. You don't have any a suit. That's all right. A clean shirt, a clean pair of pants, but dress appropriately. And lawyers out there, defense lawyers, please tell your clients what to wear to court. Don't let them just show up any kind of way because guess what? Shame on you if you do. Number two. Know that the purpose of a preliminary hearing is not, and I'm going to say this again, it is not to establish your guilt or your innocence. Remember what I've been saying. A preliminary hearing is a show cause hearing. Government, show us why this person's in front of us and why he or she should go to court. Don't be whining and shit to your lawyer. Oh, my God, you didn't do nothing. You didn't fight for me. Because the only thing the lawyer can fight for is whether or not the state's made out the charges against you, and that's on one of my other steps. But I'm going to get there. Understand. The purpose of a prelim is not to show whether you're guilty or innocent. It's to show how weak or how strong the state's case is as it relates to all the charges. Number three, understand it does not matter if the witness who testifies at the preliminary hearing is lying. Let me say that again. It does not matter if the person at the preliminary hearing is testifying and testifying, as I say. Why? At the preliminary hearing, there's only one requirement the state has to show. There was a crime committed. The person standing before the court probably did it. That's it, period. Show cause that a crime was committed. The person that stands accused probably did it go to trial. The judge will not consider that that person's lying, even if the judge can tell by the person's story that they're full of crap. 
The judge still is limited in what he or she can do. Don't get all bent out of shape. Oh, my God, he or she's lying. Okay. The judge knows it. Your lawyer knows it. They'll use it for what it's worth. But that can't be the reason that the case gets dismissed. So so that means that certain things can end at the preliminary hearing? Yes. And then we're going to get there in a second. Number four. This is this is addressing directly what our producer said. Be prepared. A judge will more than likely send you to trial on some or all the charges. In Pennsylvania and every other state, even in, in even in the federal criminal system, if you're charged with a particular crime, there are certain elements or certain parts of that crime that the state has to make out. For example, possession with the intent to distribute or deliver a controlled substance. The state has to show somebody had that stuff, it was a controlled substance, and they in some way tried to distribute it or deliver it. Those are card elements. If your lawyer can attack one of those, for example, they say, police, everybody runs. The police get to the area. There's a big old bag of drugs, but there's 20 people standing around it. How are they going to charge all 20 with possession of that bag? They're going to have to figure out who had it and who who intended to deliver it. So if you're one of those 20 people facing the PWID charge, possessing with intent to deliver, your lawyer's in a better position because he or she can challenge the elements and show, look, judge, yes, those are controlled substances. Yes, that's a big bag, a whole lot. But, judge, there's no evidence my client had anything to do with that bag. He was just standing there. There's not enough evidence here. Throw this case out. That's the only argument and the only kind of argument that your lawyer can make. Please don't expect your lawyer to argue that the witness is lying. It don't matter at a prelim. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter. Number five, police officer witnesses are given automatic believability points. Is that a word? Is believability a word? I made it up, and it's point five. It sounds good. Police officer witnesses are given automatic believability points. If the witness is against you and your prelim or cops, let it go. Get over it. Get ready. Go to trial, fight the charges. No judge at a preliminary hearing in Philadelphia County, any other county in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, is not going to believe everything that comes out that cop's mouth, whether he or she is telling the truth or not. Don't get all bent out of shape. Be prepared. I tell my clients over and over again, the way to cure a bad preliminary hearing is to go to trial. So, cop is a witness against you at the prelim. Chill out. Be ready to go to trial. Number six, don't make faces or noises. Don't squirm in your seat and act all crazy because somebody's <laughs> testifying, testifying. they saying some stuff that's not true. We don't care. You and I will care, you, me, if I'm your lawyer, but I don't need the judge to see you acting a fool because in Philadelphia County and most of the counties in, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, your defense table sits directly in the line of sight of the judge. If you're in one of those situations where the judge has to determine whether to send you up on some or all the charges, and so far you're sitting there nice and calm and you're just listening and your lawyer's doing their thing, that might push that judge to decide, you know what, eh, the felony's not here, the misdemeanor's here, I'm going to throw out the felonies and send them to trial on the misdemeanor. So you don't but if you're sitting, sitting there the squirming chair. and, oh my God, p- p- one, I swear to God, two weeks ago I had a drug prelim. I literally forgot where I was and smacked my client in the back of the head. He was <laughs> acting a nut. Thankfully, the judge on the bench, he and I know each other. We've been around each other a lot. He laughed, put his head down, took a little break. I had to reach over to my client and apologize. But he's sitting there, uh, man, you lied. And not only was he saying that, his body language, he's slamming around his chair, rolling his eyes. Dude, 
Remember, y'all out there, it doesn't matter what the officer says. Remember, automatic believability, cop. Remember, whether or not they're telling the truth don't matter at a preliminary hearing. But you're sitting there squirming and acting a fool makes it that much harder for your defense attorney to get points. So I'm not going to call out his name, Sydney. Sorry so, for smacking you in the head, B. So when you are <laughs> strategizing for the case, you're not, um, and you're not allowing for that kind of input from your client? I am telling my client when they hire me, act up the first time, I'm going to whisper in your ear, chill out. Act up the second time, I'm going to grab a piece of paper and write on there, chill the F out. Act up a third time, I'm going to forget where I'm at and smack you in the back of the head. It's really important, ladies and gentlemen, because the way you act during that preliminary, the preliminary hearing is not just for the government or the, or the Commonwealth or the DA's office. It gives me or your defense attorney and you your first taste of the criminal system, right? And it gives your lawyer a chance to see how you're going to act. If you're going to sit there at the preliminary hearing and act a fool, any thought I had of putting you up and giving you a chance to tell your story goes out the window. Because there are a lot of lawyers out there whose first, first thought is put my client up. I ain't one of them. But there are a lot of lawyers out there who have that, that idea. Don't act up, squirm around, and make faces. Because guess what? If it comes down to whether the judge is going to hold you on a felony or a misdemeanor and you acted a fool, you being sent to court on a felony. So chill the hell out. Calm down. Number seven, tell your family and friends not to act a fool either. You in there doing a, <coughs> a homicide preliminary hearing. One side of the courtroom is for the defendant's family. The other side of the courtroom is for the decedent's family. Everybody want to be in there gritting on each other and doing this and doing that. Oh, family smart. members, all you're doing is hurting your loved one. I'm going to take it away from a, a, a homicide right now. Let's just say there was a fight between two people on the block. And unfortunately, the person who started the fight lost, got his butt whooped, acted like the little bitch that he is and called the police and you got arrested. Don't have your family and his family in the courtroom gritting on each other, making little dumbass comments because the judge has a lot of power at that preliminary hearing. Not only can he or she decide to send you to trial, they can decide to lower your bail. They can decide to raise your bail. They can decide to revoke your bail and take it away. And if your family members act a fool too much, the judge can hold them in contempt and give them up to six months in jail. It's for real serious, y'all. When you walk in that courtroom, you have got to act like and respect you were in a court of law. Whether you agree with the system or not, you got to learn how to work within that system. Number eight. Oh, my God. This is my biggest pet peeve. Do not distract, your, distract or F with your attorney during the testimony. Someone's on the stand testifying. Don't be tapping on my leg, screaming in my left ear, Miss Dad, blah, 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 blah. I'm trying to hear what the witness says because my job is to try to get some or all the charges knocked out. If this witness is testifying and you in my ear screaming and whining and whatever, I can't hear what's going on. And I'm not going to be effective for you and I might miss something. And if I do miss something, that's on you. If you're in there and you got something you got to say to your lawyer, what I do is I'll give my client a pad and a paper before we sit down and I'll ask the judge, judge indulgence for a moment. I'll say to my client, listen, don't talk to me. I need to hear what's going on so I can be ready. Whatever you have to say, write it down, tap me and slide it over to me. I'll ask the judge for a moment. I'll read it and I'll do what I can. But don't be whispering in my ear, distracting me and screaming and all that other craziness because it gets in the way. 
Number nine. So this is number nine of our list of... Ten tips you should know to get ready for your preliminary hearing. There we go. Number nine is prepare beforehand. At the very least, make sure you go over with your attorney what the charges are and what the charges, what, what the elements are that the state has to make out. The hardest part of this is that when you have those clients who are in custody, most of the time, because the preliminary hearings are supposed to happen within 10 days when you're being arrested, and it's pretty good in Philly, it usually happens that fast. Make sure if you're in custody, someone from your family knows what happened and they get to the lawyer and they can tell that lawyer what's going on. I'm just going to be real with y'all. In Philly County and most of the other counties, oftentimes your attorney's not going to be able to get to you before that first preliminary hearing listing. I try to send one of the investigators that works for me to see my guys or I'll try to talk to them really quickly downstairs in the basement or when they bring them out in the courtroom, I'll ask the judge for a few minutes and, and, and talk to my client. It's important that you do what you can to give your lawyer an idea of what happened. Why does that matter? Because it gives your lawyer an idea, a skeleton in his or her head, how to set up that cross-examination so he or she can start thinking about defense theories for you. So it's really important that they have just at least a brief down and dirty. If your lawyer sends you a letter, my name is thus and such, I've been appointed by the court to represent you, don't ignore the letter. And show up in court and expect your lawyer to know who you are and be prepared to go. If they send you a letter, respond to it. Show up at the office for a 15-minute um, interview. Tell them what's going on and going about your way. You don't show up. You don't take it serious. Nine times out of ten, your lawyer's not going to either. Number ten of the top ten tips you need to prepare for a preliminary hearing. Remember, it is not personal. Oftentimes, a lot of times, the clients will say, oh, that cop don't like me, that judge don't like me, that DA don't like me. Take the cops out of this for a minute. The DAs and the judges have a job to do. I don't like what they do most of the time. I may not even like some of them. But for the most part, they are merely doing their jobs. And what's their job? The DA's job is to, to prosecute you. The judge's job is to make a determination based on the law. And your defense attorney's job is to defend you. It ain't personal. It ain't going around talking about you and picking on you personally. So let that shit go and understand it's a process. You are now a part of it. The top 10 tips for preparing for a preliminary hearing. They will be made available on the um, For the People website under the comments section. We were talking about is it a good idea to give up your preliminary hearing in a criminal case? Hell no. Hell no. Here's a question that I found really, really interesting. And this person, I can tell you from the question, he or she is probably a jailhouse lawyer. And here's the question. It goes something like this. How can my boyfriend prove that he did not allow police to enter his home and search it? He was on parole. Someone told the popo he had guns in the house. They never told him why they were there. And they never said they wanted to search. They came up in the house Busted open the door, searched the house, and found a gun. Well, unfortunately, in this particular situation, he's going to be different from Renee and I, for example, who don't have any any um, criminal system restraints, no probation, no parole. Everyday, ordinary schmoes, the police have got to have a legal reason to enter your house, either via a search warrant or some consent to search or some idea that they were chasing after a, a fleeing felon. So I, I just have to go back for a second. She wants to 
proof that they didn't have a warrant. I usually don't ask the why questions. I really don't because I really just don't care. But why? The reason I said this person is probably a jailhouse lawyer. No, but. I'm going there. Okay. As he said, he's saying in this question, he or she, my lawyer is not that good. He or she has no idea about Fourth Amendment search and seizure stuff. Somebody out there help me. Because the bottom line is this. This person was on state parole. And the rules for folk on state parole, I don't give a damn if it's state parole or federal parole. When you sign your parole papers, y'all, one of your generic conditions, make sure you know it. Parole can come up in your crib at any time whenever they feel like it. I'm going to say that again. Parole can roll up in your spot at any time when they feel like it. They don't have to give you notice. Read the small print on your parole conditions. So this person, how can he prove that he didn't allow the police officers in his home to search it? He can't. But why? He's on parole because he probably had stuff in the house he knew he wasn't supposed to have, but he also knows his constitutional rights. The Fourth, the fourth Amendment gives us the right to be free from unwarranted searches and seizures. There's certain legal things cops have to do before they can enter our house. This person knew that, so he had his guns. But what that person forgot was the parole defeats everything else. Being on parole, your Fourth Amendment rights are diluted. You know what I mean? Parole agents can come into your house at any time they feel like it. Therefore, all the police have to do is fluff a little bit and say, look, we were called by a parole agent thus and such, told us to meet him there. We got there. We heard what sounded like a crime being committed. We went in under exigent circumstances. When you're on parole, you don't have the same rights to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures as the rest of us do. But if you're on parole, don't have guns and stuff in your house. So it wasn't just me. There was some backstory. that. Well, obviously, he had some illegal stuff. Now I got to fight this because guess what? Even if he, for some reason, beats this in criminal court, he still has to answer to the parole board for violating parole and being in, in, in possession of a gun. What can that do? The parole board can take all of his street time, which means how much time he's been out on parole. The parole board can take that all back because he violated parole. So whoever you are, in this instance, nothing you can do about that. For real, for real. There's not a damn thing you can do about that. The person who, (coughs) and even the homeowner, you signed that home plan agreement with your state for parole, and you agreed, too, that they can come in whenever they wanted to. So unfortunately for you, I don't see you getting around this. You can do a motion to suppress. For those of y'all don't know what that means, you're alleging the cops had no right to be where they were. They did something illegal, and you want the the court to keep the evidence out. You're going to lose because, once again, conditions of parole are they can come to your crib and search whenever they feel like it. So basically crime doesn't pay. Uh, Not unless you're smart about it. A lot of privacy. Not unless you're smart about it. Here's a landlord question. And this is a funny question. Can I change the locks if my tenants have not moved out after the date the notice of judgment said they were supposed to be out? We went to landlord tenant court. The landlord won. The court said, who the, who the, who the, who the landlord, we give you the property tenant. You have a certain amount of time to vacate and get the hell out. The landlord is saying they won't leave. What do I do? Well, if you go back to my landlord, landlord, wild four out there or slumlord, for the people, Podomatic.com, you'll hear me say things like 
landlords do not have the right to self-help. What does that mean? You cannot go and take it upon yourself to put your tenant out. You have that judgment from landlord-tenant court. Once that deadline comes and goes where that person was supposed to be out, you need to take that judgment to a court or a magistrate and ha- and, and, and do something called an enforcement of judgment. In Philadelphia County, you'll go to the sheriff's office. They'll take their time. Two weeks later, get somebody to meet you out at your property and move them out. All the other counties, they move pretty fast. They charge a small fee, and they will enforce that judgment that you got from the judicial officer. In other words, guys, do not self-help in Pennsylvania. Don't go there, snatch them out bodily, and remove them because you're going to set yourself up for some liability. Not much, but it just may not be worth it because you could get sued. And let's say you go have have boo on them, drag your tenant out, and your tenant falls down on their butt. When you saw him, he or she was fine, but the next time you see him, he or she's in a full body cast, and they claim that's what you and Boobo and them did, you're going to be in the world of hurt, so it's just not worth it. You cannot, and please do not, self-help in Pennsylvania. Take your judgment from the court. When that deadline comes, go and get that judgment enforced. And if you don't know how to do that, reach out to an attorney. On um, most In most states, they have a um, landlord and a tenant association that you can you can uh, reach out to, and they can provide you with the information that you need. Type in landlord association for your area or Tenant association in your area. These are some DUI questions. This is a funny one. <laughs> Sorry. You're listening to www.gtownradio.com. G-Town, the what? Forget about it, Renee. The sound <laughs> from Germantown. This is For the People, Law and Plain Language. I'm Deb Rainey, your host, the compassionate lawyer. With me is simply the PhD producer, Renee. Hey, producer. Hey, Deb. Hey, Black. If you're out there listening, what's up, fam? A quick shout out to Miss Sharon Q. I hate you and your freaking cowboys. Do I have anything I can use in this case? When I see a question like that, y'all, my first thought is jailhouse lawyer. What does that mean? Someone who's in custody who may or may not have a paralegal degree or someone who's been in jail and has made some good use of the time and gone to the law library and started reading, misreading, and misunderstanding legal stuff. This question, this, this is the scenario. I was pulled over and breathalyzed. Was the breathalyzer, the police will hold a portable machine with a little straw, have you blow on it until you get a particular reading. And then eventually blood tested for driving under the influence in early September. I was told I would receive a letter within four weeks detailing, four weeks, okay, this ain't in Philly. I was told I would receive a letter within four weeks detailing when my court date would be. I just received that letter yesterday, making it just over 11 weeks. And the report says it was filed November 15th, which is almost 10 weeks after the actual incident. My blood work came back with a BAC of 0.109. BAC, ladies and gentlemen, is blood alcohol content. 0.109, just know this. The legal limit used to be 0.010. It went down to 0.08. His is at 0.109. Where is that in the scheme of 0.010? Wow. Is there anything I can use here to my advantage? I'm a college student who will be unable to pay the expensive fines or fees involved with the ARD program or any other scenario. Please help. All right, let me break this down for you. Ladies and gentlemen, in Pennsylvania, we have a driving under the influence statute. If anybody gives a shit, it can be found at um, Title 35, Section 350. Strike that. Title 75, Section 3508. Pennsylvania has specific driving under the influence statutes. The first one is this. 
We don't care how high your blood alcohol is. We don't even care if you have drugs in your system. If you are observed by a police officer operating a vehicle in such a dangerous way that you should not be driving, we're going to charge you with general driving under the influence. They're going to have to show there's something in your system, alcohol, drugs, or a combination. But let's just say in Pennsylvania, the legal limit is .08. They do your blood test. It comes point, comes back .07. You're not at that .08 level but you're driving so sporadically that you're dangerous. They can charge you with it. It doesn't mean you're going to go down for it at trial and be found found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, but they can at least try you for it. There's also a statute that says you're not allowed to have a certain amount of prescribed drugs in your system or illegal narcotics. Marijuana, cocaine, heroin, PCP, all that is illegal. However, the Pennsylvania Department of Health establishes a limit of a measurable amount in your system before they will be willing in a medical sense to say you're impacted in any way. So understand that these numbers, these BACs, the level of drugs and all that stuff, it really matters later on down the road, but at the beginning of the day, it doesn't really matter. This kid wants to know what can he do. The first thing he mentions is something called the ARD program. Pennsylvania, that's called the Accelerated Rehabilitative Disposition. That means... You're the kind of person who normally won't get in trouble. We have this program designed for you to steer you away from the criminal system so you don't end up with a record, a blemish on your record. For driving under the influence, though, that diversion program, there are outrageous fees, $1,500 um, for an initial fee, insurance surcharges, court and f- court costs and fines, and each county is different. Philadelphia County's fees are a lot lower than, say, Montgomery County or Delaware County. This kid's saying he's a college student. He can't afford to pay that. Well, college students going to be a lot better for you in the long run to pay that than end up with a driving under the influence conviction on your record. Because if you want to get a, a commercial driver's license or something along those lines and you want to remain um, conviction-free and not have a criminal record, you need to call mama and daddy and ask them to help you out with this ARD program. Understand all diversion programs in Pennsylvania, particularly the ARD program, you have to get approval from the district attorney's office in the county that you've been arrested in. So there's a whole bunch of other things that go with this ARD program. The reason I thought this was interesting is that there's probably a lot of folk out there who find themselves in this position. They know that these diversionary programs are good for them. For whatever reason, they can't afford the fines, the costs, the surcharges, and all that stuff. But I want you to think beyond that program. Think down the road. You have an arrest-free, conviction-free record. These diversionary programs allow you to maintain that record. Before you say no to these diversionary programs, reach out to an attorney and please make sure it's a criminal lawyer. As I always say when we have our little tete-a-tetes like this, don't get a real estate lawyer to handle a criminal case. But you can get an arrogant criminal lawyer to handle anything because we'll do anything. You've been listening to For the People, Law and Playing Language with me, Deb Rainey, your, lo- your host, you're, um, what am I, what am I, babe, the compassionate lawyer? There you go. There you go. We've been talking about, and I present, been presenting you and sharing you, sharing with you some questions and scenarios that our listeners and some of my, um, <laughs> favorite, um, clients have sent to me and asked questions of me. And remember what I said, the, and these are actually real questions. I swear I didn't make them up. If you have, if any of the questions in the, um, responses I gave you tonight are applicable to you or you find yourself in that situation, do as I always suggest, ladies and gentlemen, 
please reach out to an attorney. If you can't afford an attorney in Philadelphia County, Community Legal Services, type that into your browser. Um, in most of the other counties in Pennsylvania, there is a legal services. New York has legal aid. Some of the other states have legal aid. Type into your browser legal aid or legal assistance for your jurisdiction. And if you don't know, reach out to your state bar association. Most state bar associations maintain a list of low-cost attorneys who give discounted fees or nonprofits who provide legal information for every legal arena that you can think of. I want to thank you all for checking us out. Remember, every Tuesday night from 8 to 9.30, we be on providing you all with some good information. We're going to do this legal question and answer thing probably once or twice a quarter. I would like to do it once a month just to keep us connecting with y'all. And some of the, but I also want to make sure we keep bringing you the nonprofit stuff because it's always good to know what's out there for you. So I want to say another F you to Sharon Q and her Dallas Cowboys. Um, I want to say a special Michael Vick, get yourself together. We need you, dude. To Nick Foles, the little rookie out there, stop being scared. Play football. What happened to the dude we saw during the preseason? To the defense, stop playing like a bunch of girls and play like we know you can play. To Andy Reid, God bless you. I think you should have taken this season off to have time to mourn the loss of your son. To the Eagles organization, get it together because you got one more season with me and I'm going back to my Niners. Um. We're still trying to get the um, – we want more entries for our um, – what am I trying to say? If you remember, we've been talking about a theme song for For the People. We're trying to get a few more entries before we make our decision about who we're going to um, announce as potential winners. So if you're interested, remember the rules are simple. has to be your original work. I would prefer instrumental with a funky beat. Give him some funky beat, producer. Producer doesn't care if it's words. Well, I actually would like both versions. But primarily, it would be the instrumental version that we use all the time. What I think would be the bomb is if you take the poem that Black wrote for the show and you take that and put that to your original music. Our only requirement is that it has to be original music. Don't oh, be copying nobody else's stuff. And if you're stuck with words to put in there because you want to honor um, the producer's request and have words, play the poem that Black does at the beginning of the, of the program and um, make your own original music, your funky beat that keeps that going. All right? And, and this is the this is Jay-Z's version. With words, although we only use the instrument. If y'all didn't know, this is Jay-Z's My First Song. It's funky. We want to say thanks to Land Cruz. Black Tribbles, forgive us for uh, suggesting this to us. I think that's our time, y'all. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you have any questions, any information that we can provide for you, you can always hit us up for the people. At DebraRainyLaw.com. For the people, Law and Playing Language on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, For the People. Email For the People at DebraRainyLaw.com. If you want to hear this pod of podcast or any other podcast of our show, 
you got two spots you can go to. DebraRainyLaw.com, D-E-B-R-A-R-A-I-N-E-Y-L-A-W.com. And listen, my producer put that website together. If you visit that website, send her a message. At the bottom of the website, you can click on her name, and it shows you her design stuff. She's just like uber, uber talented. Send her a little I appreciate. The website looks good. She also did the Facebook page for For the People, the Deborah Rainey Law Facebook page. She didn't do the Deborah Rainey personal page. I did that. It's cool, right? Yeah, okay. It wasn't that hard. I ain't have to do a whole lot, too. But anyway, thank you so much for listening, and we will check you out. Same bat channel, different bat day, next Tuesday from 8 to 9.30. We out! Say bye! Christmas is coming, so this Christmas music that's coming as well. <laughs> Be afraid! <laughs> This one's with the stew, with the state, with the fortune, maybe not the fortune, but certainly not life. My pain and my struggle, the song that I sing to you is my everything. Treat my first like my last, and my last like my first, and my first is the same as when I kiss you. It's my joy and my tears and my laughter it brings to me, it's my everything. Treat my first like my last, and my last like my first, and my first like the first song I sing. been listening to For the People, Law and Plain Language with me, Deb Brainy, your compassionate lawyer, Black, a.k.a. the Broke Poet, simply the producer, Renee. Stay by, fam. We out. Information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates. The information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. We the people says the Constitution, created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted, often signing away our chances, because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding, quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech. When this situation could have been avoided from the start, if we the people conquer basic knowledge of the law, so this is for the people. Law in plain language, breaking it down for us in layman terms, that expressing her compassion and will for us to learn, not for a check, but to address how to win in these streets. This show is for you. This show is for me. It's for the people.